that we sang together this morning talked about that glorious day. In fact, that's the theme for this entire service today. Glorious day. I'm going to pull the phrases out of the golden text of the Bible and just look at them one by one for the next few minutes. You know the verse. You could probably quote it from memory. But I just want to look at the very first part. For God so loved the world. Say that with me. For God so loved the world. God. God the omnipotent. God the omniscient. God the omnipresent. God who today is what he was yesterday, what he will be tomorrow. The same yesterday, today, and forever. God, supreme, eternal, holy, wonderful God. God. You know, some people don't believe in God. Several years ago, when the first Russian astronaut, I think they called theirs cosmonauts, when he went into outer space and returned, his first news conference, the first question right out of the box was, Sir, did you see God out there? And he said, No, I didn't. And so the Soviet newspapers put it out to the whole world. We know there is no God. Our cosmonaut has been to outer space, and he didn't see God. He's come back. There, there is no God. When the first American astronaut went into space, when he came back at his first news conference, the fourth question to him was, Sir, did you see God? And he said, well, actually, I didn't, but he said, if I'd have taken off that space suit, I would have. <laughs> a totally different perspective. We believe there's a God, amen? amen? There is a God. Well, I know some people say, well, if you, 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 know, if you, if you can't explain him, if you can't, um, th th then we just don't believe him. I, I heard about an old farmer who said to a preacher, he said, Preacher, I don't believe in God. He said, I don't believe in anything I don't understand. And the preacher said, well, <clears throat> since you're a farmer, explain this to me, please. How does a brown cow eat green grass and give white milk and yellow butter? And he said, well, I'm not sure I can explain that. And he said, no, because you don't fully understand it. said, you believe in a lot of things you don't understand. The fact is, if you could understand God, he wouldn't be God. You'd be God. And I'm kind of glad you're not. And I know there's some of you that are really glad I'm not. But there is a God. I hold in my hand a book that God has given to us. It's called the Bible. It's his word. It's divided into two major sections. The first section we refer to as the Old Testament. The second section we refer to as the New Testament. That word testament literally means covenant. There's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. Let me explain to you why God gave us the old covenant. And there, there are a lot of reasons, but I, I'm going to narrow it down to just, just one. God gave us the old covenant to prove to man once and for all and completely without question 
that man cannot live good enough to earn his way to heaven or to deserve eternal life. When God just brought it down to 10 little rules, just 10 little commandments, man couldn't keep it in his own strength. I dare say that you've probably broken one of the commandments sometime or another in your life, maybe several of them. And if there's anybody here that would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I've never broken one of the Ten Commandments, maybe you ought to try that one about lying. <laughs> because the fact is, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I love the Bible. There are 322 promises in the Bible about the first coming of Jesus. And by the way, there are more than that, more than twice that many about his second coming. But his first coming, prophets over a period of thousands of years prophesied about Jesus coming the first time. And they prophesied different things about his coming. But they were very, very specific and very detailed. They told us where he would be born. They told us all about his life and, and details all the way down to exactly the number of coins that would be used to betray him when he gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. Do you know that if you put those 322 promises into a computer and looked at the span of time and the number of different people that prophesied it, and you put it into a computer and say, what are the chances of all 322 of those promises being fulfilled specifically and in detail without missing a thing, dotting every I and crossing every T? You know what the computer would spit out for you? It would be a number that is a 1 over 84 with 100 zeros after it. There it is. Look at that. That's the chances of all those being fulfilled, and yet they were. By the way, folks, that don't happen every day, <laughs> that kind of equation. But that's how accurate your Bible is when it comes to the Lord Jesus. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the next phrase. That he gave his only begotten son. Say that with me. That he gave his only begotten son. If you've been at New Hope very long, you've probably heard me at some point make the statement that you cannot love without giving. Giving and loving are inseparable. Now, you can, you can, uh, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. There's just some, if you really love, there's just something that compels you to give if you love. Loving and giving are inseparable. And God so loved, I can't tell you how much he loved you because it's beyond what my mind can grasp, but God so loved the world. And by the way, you could put your name in there. I would say it like this, and I wouldn't be doing any violence to the scriptures. For God so loved Rich Bowen that he gave his only begotten son. By the way, let's all say that and put your name in there. Will you do that? For God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten son that 
your name, put your name there, that whosoever believeth in him, and of course you know the rest of it, should not perish but have everlasting life. But he gave his only son for you. Loving and giving, as I said, are inseparable. Now, for me to talk to you about that glorious day, I must first bring you to the darkest night. They say that the darkest hour is right before dawn. And so to really see the beauty and the glory and the splendor of that glorious day, you have to first look at the darkest night. For you see, when God gave his only begotten son, his son Jesus came to this earth. Of course, we know the story born in Bethlehem of Judea, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Shepherds came and rejoiced. Wise men traveled for nearly three years to come and bring him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know that in the temple when he was 12 years old, he astounded the, the, and the scribes and the elders and the chief priests with his teachings and his knowledge of the word of God. We understand all of that. We also know that he began preaching when he was about 30 years old. And for a a couple, three years or so, Jesus taught the word of God like no other person had ever taught it. He gathered around him 12 chosen men and he taught them and trained them and prepared them to carry on with the ministry after he had ascended back to his father. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. He set people free and delivered them from demonic oppression and all of the works of the devil. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. He he performed miracles as no other. And they said of him, never a man spake like this man, Jesus. But there came a day. There came a day when public uh, public opinion turned against him. And the public tide of of popularity turned against him. And all men began to charge him falsely and accuse him. On that night during the week of his passion, in the upper room, he told his disciples the death that he was going to die. He shared with them the heartbreak that lie ahead. He tried to prepare them, and yet they couldn't fully comprehend what he was saying. You know, that night after they'd had communion, after they'd gone out into the garden and Jesus had agonized in prayer until his sweat became like drops of blood, that a malignant group of God-haters came into that garden with with staves and and spears and swords and and lanterns and, and a mob of soldiers falsely accusing him. And they took him from there to Pilate's judgment hall. They tried him and found him guilty. The trial was a mock trial. The witnesses against him were liars with made-up stories, and yet they condemned him to die. Before they took him to his death, they beat him with a Roman scourging, 39 stripes they beat upon his back. They took him out to a hill called Calvary, They drove nails in his hands and in his feet. 
Before they carried him out there, they blindfolded him and put a crown of thorns on his head and pulled the beard from his face, leaving nothing but a bloody stubble of a chin. And then soldiers started walking by and spitting in his face until the spittle mingled with the blood and ran and dripped from his chin. And then they started beating him with their fists. They, they hit him and they said, prophesy, who hit you? They beat him until his face and his head began to swell. Historians tell us that it was swollen twice its normal size. If you had seen Jesus on the cross and had not known who it was, you would not have recognized him. The great prophet Isaiah said his visage was marred more than any man. Oh, what a dark, dark page in history. It was so dark that the, the sun pulled a veil over its face and refused to shine. The disciples were so discouraged they thought it was over and they went back to their own homes. Peter denied that he even knew the Lord. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. A soldier thrust a spear through his side and blood and water gushed out on the sundry banks of the hill of Calvary. And in the darkest hour of human history, Jesus bowed his head and died. The darkest night. Worship with us on this next song, and I'll be back. The crucifixion was a horrible event. But I want to remind you that it was an event. There are some people that get all caught up in religion and, and they get all caught up in legalism. And they spend a lot of time just emphasizing that we live the crucified life. No, crucifixion is an act. Paul said I was crucified with Christ. I, I agree that we ought to crucify the old flesh. And, but there's a resurrection. And that's the life we live, the resurrected life. Amen. The crucifixion was an event. And that was the darkest hour in human history. And it was a long, long, long night. In fact, there were three days and three nights that the earth convulsed without hope. But what? man didn't know was that during those three days and three nights, Jesus had gone to the heart of the earth and had taken the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from Satan. And on that resurrection morning, we celebrated on Easter, on that, on that resurrection morning, Jesus Christ arose victorious over death, over hell, and over the grave. The resurrection. The resurrection. And he offers that kind of resurrected life for all of us today. Well, that was the glorious day. The day that Jesus arose from the grave. Praise the Lord. And I want to tell you, at that point, God's responsibility, God's work, God's effort, that was it. He'd done all that he could do. He gave, as I said, his only begotten son. His son gave his life. Jesus literally took your sins in his own body to the cross. He's already paid the price 
that you and I owed for our sins so that we could come to him and have life, so that we could receive his righteousness. What we couldn't accomplish under the old covenant in trying to just keep laws and rules and regulations, we now can have the life of Jesus Christ inside of us and the Holy Spirit to help us live that new and resurrected life in him. And so from this point forward, it's all up to us. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now the next phrase is that whosoever believeth in him. Say that with me. That whosoever believeth in him. That's it. If you'll believe in him. Remember, what, what, a while ago, we had that one with 84 and 100 zeros behind it. That's, <laughs> that's how accurate this is. It could not have missed. That's reason to believe. But let me give you another reason or two to believe. Did you know that those disciples whose hope was dead when Jesus was crucified, it came alive when he appeared to them after the resurrection? In fact, he spent about 40 days among them talking with them, walking with them, teaching them. And then they saw him ascend up into heaven. And let me tell you, they were willing to die for their testimony of the resurrection. That's one of the reasons I believe so strongly in the resurrection. Look, think about it, folks. If, and this is what the world wanted, wanted the, the, the religion wanted the world to believe at the time of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, they paid soldiers to, to spread false rumors and say that his disciples stole him away. Listen, if, if the disciples had come and stolen Jesus away and made up the story, don't you think when they came to them and said, we're going to take your life if you don't admit that you guys have made up the story, don't you think they would have given in? Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe there would have been one among them that was strong enough and crazy enough that they'd be willing to die for it. But would all of them be willing? Would James be willing to be cut, thrust through with a sword? Would Simon Peter be willing to be crucified upside down? Would some of them be willing to be sawed in two, sawed asunder? Would they be willing to be drugged to death? Would they, would they be willing to... to they boiled John in oil. They, they suffered for this, and all they had to do to avoid the suffering was just say, oh, hold it, hold it, hold it. I'll admit it. We stole his body away. There's nothing to it. No, 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 no. For all of those disciples to be willing to die for that testimony, and then others who saw him alive as well, I'm telling you folks, it's true. It's true. And there are many historical records. I don't have time to go into all those details in this message today. But history is replete with detail after detail of proof of the resurrection. By the way, in the 18th century, there was a man by the name of Gilbert West who decided that he would help destroy Christianity. And he said, if, you could, if we could just refute the story of the resurrection, we could do great damage to the Christian religion. And so he set out to write a book that would prove that the resurrection was a hoax and there was nothing to it. He got halfway through his book and he met the master and he gave his heart to Jesus. 
And the book that he started out to write against the resurrection turned out to be a book in favor of the resurrection. In the 19th century, there was a famous infidel. You may have heard of him. His name was Ingersoll. He wrote a lot of books. He was uh, probably the most famous infidel and atheist of his day. He got a lot of press as he was trying to tell everybody there was no God and that there was, there. he got very upset because Christianity was growing by leaps and bounds. And so he was busy and couldn't stop right then, but he said, you know, if we could just come up with a book that would refute the resurrection, we could, we could slow this growth of Christianity down. He didn't have time to do it himself, but he had a friend by the name of General Lew Wallace. And so he went to General Wallace and he said, Lew, would you help me? And he said, what can I help you with? And he said, well, you're a brilliant man and a great scholar. And, and, and I know you, you believe like me that there is no God. And, and um, it, I, I've, I've concluded that if we could just refute the story of the resurrection, we could shatter Christianity. Would you help me do it? General Wallace said, I'll write the book myself. And he started his research and he began to write. By the way, his wife was a Christian. So she was praying for him the whole time he was writing. <laughs> he wrote a book all right, but by the time he got to the fourth chapter, he had a personal experience with Jesus Christ and he became a Christian. And the book he wrote turned out to be Ben-Hur. You've probably seen the movie. He's singing the praise of God's Word, the Holy Bible. In the 20th century, there was a journalist. He was both a journalist and a lawyer that had the same idea. His name was Frank Morrison. He said, I'll write a book that will refute the resurrection and we'll, we'll put this myth to bed and, and we'll, we'll put a stop to Christianity in <laughs> He was a journalist, so he knew how to do research. He was also a lawyer, so he knew how to play with the truth. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that if there are any lawyers here. But <laughs> So he went to work, and the same thing happened. By the time he got halfway through his book, he met the master. He had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And the book that he started out writing against the resurrection wound up being entitled, Who Moved the Stone? And it's a story of the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, if there's anybody in a hurry to meet Jesus, might I suggest that you do some research and start writing a book against the resurrection? <laughs> No, I'm here to tell you folks, it's true. Jesus arose from the dead and he's alive and well. I, yeah, give him praise. He's worthy. Now I know there are a lot of great religions in the world and there are some people that say, what's the difference? You know, well, let me tell you, if you're walking down a road that you're unfamiliar with and you're trying to get to a destination 
that you're unsure of and you come to a fork in the road and there are two people there, one's dead and one's alive, which one are you going to ask for directions? <laughs> I know there are a lot of great religions in the world. I know that there were a lot of great leaders that led in a great, lot of great men, but they're dead. I want to know how to get to heaven. I'm not going to ask a dead man when there's a live man there. Jesus Christ is alive and well. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. So the last part of that verse says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know whether you think about it very often or not, but you probably should. You're going to live somewhere forever because your soul and spirit is eternal. You're made in the image of God. 20 years from now, most of us will either be in heaven or we'll be in hell. You ought to give some thought to that. I want to know how to get to heaven. Many years ago, the great pastor, he pastored the London Tabernacle in London, England, and several generations ago, his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was the most famous preacher of his day. He was the Billy Graham of his day. People all over the world knew about Charles Haddon Spurgeon. His, his sermons were carried weekly in newspapers around the world. He filled that London Tabernacle Sunday after Sunday for years and years, decades the great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. One day he's sitting in his office at church preparing his message and somebody came to the door and said, Pastor, there's a little lady that goes to our church. She's a poor lady and she's dying over in Shantytown. And she said, the one desire she has before she dies, she would like to be able to meet her pastor personally. Would you go see her? Charles Haddon Spurgeon made his way to a very poor section of town. Went down a street that had nothing but squabbles and shanties. And he came to the little house such as it was where this woman was dying, literally. She was dying of malnutrition. She was so poor she couldn't afford to buy proper food for her own nourishment. And she was dying of malnutrition. Charles Haddon Spurgeon walked in, greeted the lady and talked with her for a moment or two, but there was something on the wall that caught his eye. He saw a framed document and he walked over and took a look at it and he came back to the lady and he said, is, is that document yours? And she said, yes, it is. She said, it's my prized possession. She said, you see, for 30 years, I served royalty in England as a cook. I cooked in one of the palaces for lady and she called her name and said when my health began to break and I could no longer serve them they had a little ceremony for me and, they, and it said it was so nice and and she presented me with this document said and that was so sweet of her this little old lady could not read so she didn't know what it said she said I was so proud of it I had it framed and it and it's it's my prized possession uh, I love it. It's the prettiest thing in my little house. And Spurgeon said, ma'am, 
would you care if I borrowed that frame document for a couple of days? And she said, oh, oh no, pastor, it just, but please bring it back. It's, it's my prized possession. It's the, it's the memory that I have from the 30 years that I served our royalty. Charles Haddon Spurgeon took that to Lords of London and had it researched. And they said, oh, my goodness, we've been looking for that document. That is a bequest that lady, whatever her name was, left this lady who cooked for her. We've been looking for that lady and haven't been able to find her. That, that, that document is a bequest that gives her a house to live in, servants to wait on her, health care for the rest of her life, and we have an account in the bank that's drawing interest that's enough for her to live a, a pretty nice lifestyle for all of her life. We've been looking for her. Charles Haddon Spurgeon took it back all right. She was able to get help, physical help. And she revived and got well and lived a few more years. But there was 10 years of her life that she lived in a squaddle of a hut and starved and almost died with a document on her wall that would have cared for every need she has. My question to you this morning, someday out in the future, are you going to be in hell remembering that you had a document that offered you eternal life? Is that going to be your, are you going to regret for eternity that you didn't open this document and see that you're right there for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that you should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that going to happen to you? Some of you have been wasting a lot of years when you could have had the blessings of God on your life already because of what's right here. You got a document. Some of you got it laying on a coffee table. Some of you have it on a shelf. Some of you have it laying by the nightstand. But, but you've got this document and, and you're in this document. Your heavenly father has taken care of that. Jesus has already paid the price. It's yours. It's yours. Will you stand with me, please? I want the prayer team to come quickly. Here's what we're going to do. This is an altar call. That's right. We're going to invite you to come and pray. I encourage you, unless you just have to, please don't leave. We have more at the end of the service. After our prayer time together, we have gifts for many of you and a lot of things that we want to tell you about. But, but right now, I want to give you an opportunity, greatest opportunity. This, this can be your glorious day. Amen. The, the great glorious day was the day that Jesus arose from the dead. But your glorious day will be the day that you accept that life into your life and you pass from death into life. And Jesus writes your name on the Lamb's book of life and assures you 
of a place in heaven in his presence forevermore. This can be your glorious day. I still celebrate my glorious day. My glorious day was a long time ago. June the 18th, 1957, before most of you were born. But it was on a Sunday, but it was in the evening service. I came forward on this side of the church, and there wasn't any room at the altar, so I knelt at the front bench, and I gave my heart to Jesus. I said, Lord, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you've already carried my sins to the cross, and I accept what you've done for me as sufficient for the justice of Almighty God. And I believe that you give me eternal life. And the Lord wrote my name on the Lamb's book of life, and I became a child of God. I don't know when my time will come. It can come quickly. It can come quickly. It can come quickly. One of our precious members on Thursday, Brother Sammons, who was just at church the other Sunday, Thursday, he was out working in his garden. He'd come in for lunch. He went back out, and his wife just happened to be watching out the window and she saw him when he stepped back from his rotary tiller and fell face down and when the paramedics got there he had already coded he's in heaven today it can happen that quick you say I'll, I'll wait till later I'll take care of it later you may not have a chance to take care of it later and how foolish it is to risk your eternity. Let me ask you this. How many of you would come up here to, and let me flip a coin for your house? Would you gamble on that? Would you, be, would you be willing to give it to me if it's heads and you keep it if it's tails? How about your car? And yet some of you won't gamble on your house or your car, but you're gambling on your eternity. You're gambling that you may have another day to live that you may have another hour, another, no, oh no, don't, don't gamble on that. You've got a document right here that says you're taken care of. Your heavenly father has already provided for you. Jesus, your elder brother's already paid the price. It, it's not what you can do. It's what he has done. And it's a matter of you coming and accepting it and receiving it and saying, yes, I want that to be mine. And you give your life to him and Oh, glory to This can be your glorious day. You can look back 10 years from now if Jesus tarries, 15, 20 years from now if Jesus tarries, and you can say on Easter Sunday morning, 2017, <laughs> I read the document and I started living. I passed from death into life. And Jesus lives in my heart. Now the altars are open and we have people that will be glad to pray with you and for you. Some are already coming. I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to come. Don't keep standing there. Just come on. Come on. If for any reason you're not absolutely certain that you're ready to meet God today, come. Come on. Just, just step out and make sure. If you've wandered away from God, come on home this morning. It's okay to come for other things. If you want healing for your body, we'll pray for your healing. If you have a financial need, that come on with that. Bring it. If you have a family need, bring that. Some of you might want to just find a place to pray yourself. But if you want somebody to pray with you, we have people on both sides that will be glad to do that. Please don't leave this morning not knowing for sure that you're ready to meet God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Several years ago, we had a biker Sunday. And after that Sunday morning service, one of the bikers went right up here to I-20 
And as she was turning to get on I-20, was hit by a car. And that was it. You don't know when you're going to meet God. But it pays to be ready. Amen. Oh, you're talking about a freedom when you can say, praise God, I'm in a win-win situation. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. I can't lose when I know that my name is on the Lamb's book of life. If there's, the, if there's a little bit of doubt or question in your heart whether you're ready to meet God, I want to invite you to come right now. Just come on, step out, step out and come and let's have a time of prayer around the altar. Like I said, some are already coming. Whatever you need, the altar is open now. We're going to sing and while we're singing, we want you to come and spend some time in prayer. Would you do that? Those of you that are remaining in your seats, would you just pray for these who are coming forward? Let's give them a great big hand as they come forward this morning. Greatest decision you'll ever make.